welcome to Health's Kitchen, the podcast that talks all things health, safety, and performance when it comes to restaurants and the food service industry. I'm Aaron, kinesiologist, former dishwasher, server, bartender, and I will be guiding us through this journey as I connect with industry professionals, health experts, and anyone who has a good story in the food service industry. Happy New Year, listeners. I hope that all of your resolutions, let's call them resolutions, for 2020, because it's a new decade, are going well. I have a little rule that I like to do with clients when it comes to bringing change into their life, and it's called the 1 to 10 rule. So if you are looking to make a change in your life, and you've made a plan around it, Rate the chances of you succeeding with that plan on a scale of 1 to 10, whereas 10 means very likely and 1 means not very likely at all. And when you do this, anything below a 7 is way too difficult to start with. So let's say it's 2020 and you decide you want to start working out consistently and you're going to work out three times a week. And I say to you, on a scale of 1 to 10, what's the chances of you pulling that off consistently? And you say, eh, probably like a 4. And I would tell you to probably dial that back a bit. So let's try a 2. And you're like, ah, that's much easier, but that's like a 6. And I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, How about one time a week? How about just one day a week? Where are the chances of you succeeding at that? And you say, that's easy. I can do that so easily. Like, that's a 9 or a 10. Great. That's where we're going to start. So I always try to build a plan when it comes to these sorts of things that's so easy that you'd almost be embarrassed if you failed. And then from there, you can start upping the difficulty, upping the dosage, whatever it may be, um, to get to where your goals want to be. So always start small and use that 1 to 10 rule to really help you build an effective goal for yourself that you'll actually end up achieving. Sound good? Now, I bring up the goal setting thing because I want to connect that to the conversation we have with our guest today. And our guest today has a background in the military. And I wasn't expecting this when I went down to sit down with him and talk about that. But there's a lot of connections to being a chef and to being in the military, where in the military, you have a lot of discipline, you have a lot of routines. And because of those routines, you can perform very well. And a chef needs a lot of discipline, needs to be able to perform at a high level under sometimes pretty dire conditions. But the discipline side, the training side to build that into how we work through our job, how we function, isn't quite on the same level. And I'm sure you're not surprised to hear that. And it really excited me to hear of someone who used these principles to actually succeed better as a chef. So not that I'm comparing the military and working as a chef directly, but I think there's a lot of value to gain here. So let's get into the conversation with our guests, and we're going to start out by me 
Introducing them. Today's guest goes by the name of Manny Singh, and he's a chef who has about five years in the field, with three of those years being in management positions as a chef. And currently, he works as head chef at a 60-seat plus a 40-seat patio bar, and he has experience both in fine and casual dining, and he has cooked on the West Coast, the East Coast, and also in the United Kingdom. So lots of experience all over the world. But on top of that, he spent time in the military. And the most exciting thing about today is hearing his story connecting how he performs in a kitchen to how he performed in the military. So I'm not going to do too much extra talking here. We're just going to get straight into the conversation. So let's go listen in. So I'm sitting here with Manny, uh, who is a chef in the industry, and I thought it'd be best if I just let you describe yourself, what you do, how you got into the field, and then we'll get into it from there. All right, sounds good. Um, how I got in the field, that's a long, huge story. But, <laughs> Everybody's uh, got one. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's got one. Um, but I feel like uh, I'm one of those people that the industry chose me rather than me choosing it. Yes. I stumble onto it. Um, yeah, I'm... I've uh, been cooking for quite a while, uh, been a sous chef at some restaurants, uh, now I'm a head chef at a small pub. Nice. Um, yeah, it's that's about it. Nice. It. Um, so you said the, the industry kind of chose you, you didn't choose it. I think I have the same sort of story on my background, but is there a, something that got you in? Was there something that kind of pulled you into the job in the first place? Yeah, I mean, um, when I was a kid, uh, like a really young kid, I loved to, to mess with stuff. Yeah. Um, I think I was like eight or nine, and then uh, I made caramel for the first time. Yes. And not caramel sauce like the one you have. Uh, I mean the burnt sugar. Oh, nice. And, uh, yeah, it was it was it was it was a mess. <laughs> My mom hated me for it. Um, <laughs> but uh, eventually, like I ended up uh, right after high school, I ended up joining the army, and uh, you know I went I was in it for like five six years, and uh, they used to give these ration packs. And this one pack really got my interest. The food sucked. Yeah. But it was called Beef Stroganoff. Okay. And that's when it started. That's like, that was it. Like, I tasted it. I was like, this is garbage, but sounds so cool. I really want to know how to make the real version. Nice. And then I just joined the culinary industry. I was like, you know what? Let's try it. Yeah. Nice. So you just get a, the stroganoff, the the word of it, sort of kind of yeah. grabbed your interest, and then you kind of hopped into the industry from there. Yeah, that was it. Did you hop straight into cooking, or did you do like the dishwashing path, like uh, people? I did do dishwashing yeah. for a bit, um, for a hot minute there. Uh, yeah, everybody, but was, only, everybody only does a hot minute. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's what you want to do, right? right? Yeah, yeah, you want to move out of there. Uh, but I was really eager to cook, so. Um, you know, I would sneak away from the pit if, if it dies down and I would start prepping some stuff. And then uh, one of the chefs saw it and he was like, you know what, why don't you become a prep cook? Yeah. And then 
I just went up the journey, prep cook, line cook, shift leader, sous chef. Yeah. Yeah. And eventually just kind of worked your way, yep. worked your way through and uh, did all the learning. Did you go to school for it? Uh, I did. So uh, I went to coloring industry for a bit. I went to Humber College. Um, I think I did a whole semester. And then at the end of the first semester, uh, I was still in the Army part-time. And uh, there was an operation where they were like, you know what? Do you want to go? Yeah. And I was like, hell yeah. yeah. So I volunteered immediately and uh, did the operation, came back. And I talked to the college, and then they were like, well, you're going to have to restart now. I was just discouraged. I was like, I'm not going to restart. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you just kind of went into the industry from there. Yeah. Interesting. I went to Humber College as well. Right on. So my postgrad to become a kinesiologist was okay. uh, at Humber. So um, it was always fun, and they have that restaurant for, like, the students. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I forget the name of it, but I went a good few times because yeah, yeah. the prices are so good. Yeah. The food's really good, so I went a bunch of times just to, like, have lunch, and there were a group of us would always go, and I love their uh, food truck. They do a lot of stuff with food trucks yeah. now, and they have a really yeah, interesting yeah. food truck program, so... Uh, Humber's a great place. It's always a soft spot in my heart. It yeah. gave me all the skills needed to become the occupational health consultant I am today. So shout out to Humber. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. Uh, I want to dive a little bit into the military stuff now that I'm hearing it because I think there's a big connection to the discipline level that you get when you're in the military to the discipline level you would need to be a chef. Yeah, 100%. Um, and a lot of people tend to... Uh, forget that a lot of chefs used to be ex-military and really oh yeah a lot of chefs and uh, you know a full kitchen staff is called a brigade yeah so which is a military term yeah so, yeah okay so um interest that's that's really fascinating to me because i worked with a lot of athletes mm. um and i was a varsity coach athlete myself and i always saw the level of like teamwork you needed to have to pull off like a varsity sport or whatever it may be and then sort of the same moving parts are happening in a kitchen yeah and that level of like stress and um heat and everything that's going on and how that all works do you did you feel like there was a sort of specific thing you pulled out of the military and brought to the kitchen maybe um i don't think there's a specific thing i think there was many things that yeah. i pulled out uh teamwork and cohesiveness is definitely a big thing yeah um because, you know, in the Army, you, you have, like, people from all different sorts of, you know, colors or cultures, and and they come together for a, for a shared goal. Yeah. And it's the same thing in a kitchen. Like, you know, you have people who are young, old, um, you know, Indian, Chinese, or whatever. They all come together for the service and yeah. to be hospitable. So, yeah. Yeah, the teamwork thing, discipline, uh and timings. Timings was, you know what, specifically, I think timings was one thing I picked up from the Army that I just brought into the cooking industry a lot. Can you just, I don't know, I, I'm not I'm not the best chef military okay. person, so can you describe that a little bit for me? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, so, like in the Army, you have timings, right? You're like, oh, at 1600, you got to be here, 1700, or like 0400, you got to be here. And uh, in the kitchen industry, um, when you're doing your prep, uh, you need to set time goals. Yeah. And I'm sure you've heard of that. Yeah. Uh, like time goals, like, you know, by this time I need to have this prepped so I can move on to the next prep item. This sauce needs to be prepped. And like just, you know, being very uh, disciplined about that. Yeah. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and that's not surprising to hear. The sort of those, those time frames where you have to get everything done. Yep. Even on the, I was more front of house side. Right. Um, 
even on the front of house side, there is sort of a little bit more of that timing, or at least I would try to be really aware of like, um, what time does that have to be when I have to have the dining room set, when I have to have X thing done, and how does that time break down, and how does right. that work out effectively? Yeah. Um, especially if you have like a really big group coming in. Yeah, 100%. Um, or a big event, or whatever it is, and then you really have to be disciplined and say, we're getting X things done under this time frame, yeah. and kind of going from there. Um, and making sure everybody is uh, performing well. So do you have a, I, back, not back to the military thing, but do you have a ritual when you start your work day then? Like of how you, you know, start, is there certain things that you do before your work day starts to make sure that you have a successful work day? Because I think you probably do. Yeah, 100%. Um, I think a lot of people uh, tend to have certain routines and I'm a, like, uh, I think my ex-partner described the same way you know, she said, like, I'm a uh, man of routine, man of plans. Like, yes. I've never changed. Um, so, yeah, I, and this is going to sound weird, but I, uh, when I, I'm the first in the restaurant, I open the door and, like, whatnot. Um, I listen to some kind of slow music, yep. which shocks a lot of people because, like, you know, I'm cutting away and I'm moving fast, but I'm listening to very slow music. I don't know why. It really calms me down. Yeah. So, that's one uh, routine that I do. I listen to music, like, very slow music and, you know, to each their own. Some people like yeah. to listen to fast-paced music, which is fine. Yeah. But yeah, that I think music is definitely a big part of my routine. Yeah, it's sort of bringing that mindfulness in. Second. The mindfulness of it, like yeah. like getting your mind in the headspace it needs to be. Yeah. Um, that I think some people don't think about when they come into their workday, and for a job that's so demanding and is so chaotic and has so many moving parts, yeah. you need to have your head on board. Yep, one hundred percent. I feel like. Uh, People tend to uh, forget about their mental health, yeah, and that's that's key because you know when in the cooking industry, um, in the ho- hospitality industry actually, uh, people are just you know always concerned about their physical uh, state. You know, my feet hurt or my back hurts or my shoulder. I pulled up my shoulder, but they forget the mental state is also so important. Yeah, um, and it's really crucial that people should have a routine, whether it's a bartender or a server or a cook. Yeah. Well, I you know, the people that I found were most successful in the industry did that. Yeah. I found. Like, the people that were able to stick it out and stick around. Um, I started out at, like, a super high-end fine dining place. Um, it was where I started as a dishwasher, moved into the front of house team as, like, a bus person, host, and eventually worked my way up to serving. But, like, they had, like, career servers there who've been doing it for, like, 40 years. And they, those servers would say, like, they're Saturday because it was only open for dinner. So their Saturday, they didn't do anything other than like recovery practices to get ready for Saturday. Yeah. Okay. So it was like, like one of them was like, I get my Toronto Star, I do my crosswords, I eat, I drink my coffee. Like I watch, like I do like some very specific things to get myself in the headspace to be able to perform on Saturday night because it's, you're gonna need to be on board in that kind of way. And I found uh, that was, I've seen that with so many um, professionals that stick around in the industry are able to employ that really effectively. Interesting thing, I wonder, I wonder if we did a study to look at that a little bit deeper to see length of career and how people manage the start of their day and the end of the day. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I found like uh, in the beginning stages of my uh, culinary con- career, um, on my days off, you know, on my Saturday, Sunday, whatever that be, uh, day of the week, I used to go out and, you know, socialize and, you know, party and whatnot. But uh, later on, 
you know, eventually I changed to like just shutting everyone away and like, you know, I'd read a book or I'd read, I'd do something just to calm the mind and relax a little bit. Yeah. It's kind of like to reset it. Yeah. Then back to the Monday grind. Yeah, back to the Monday grind yeah. and being able to survive another week yeah. in a good way. Survive in a good way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I find when I talk about all this stuff, I sound really doomsday about the industry and I don't mean to sound like that. Yeah. I think it's just how a lot of us just have talked about it after years and years in it. It's just how we all kind of bring that up and focus on that, I guess I would say. So for yourself in your current position, uh, how long is your day? How many guests are you serving over a shift? Like what kind of volume are we looking at for yourself? Um, so right now the place I work at, it's quite small, like smaller than what I'm used to. Yeah. Um, I think the whole place is about a hundred seats, maybe. hundred seats? Maybe, okay. including the patio, okay. uh, which is not open right now. Yeah. Um, but uh, my days, like my hours, it dep- honestly depends on me. It yeah. depends on the business itself. Uh, some days I'll be doing 11 hours, 12 hours. Some days when it's like really uh, dead, you know, uh, I'll let the cook kind of close. But usually I'm the first one in. Um, yeah. I open the restaurant and uh, I determine what time I come in uh, based on what prep needs to be done. Yeah. So, I mean, if there's, I do all the prep. Oh, okay. All the prep. Yeah, it's a very work uh, working head chef position. Yeah. rather than sit back and not do much it's very and i love it that's personally i love it i love being in the kitchen i love cooking um so yeah like i'll come in i'll do all the necessary prep that needs to be done um the only prep the other cooks would really do is they would come in and they would wash oysters okay um sometimes even i do that i mean yeah. like, you know what come in at uh come in an hour later yeah and and wash oysters. Yeah. Right? Yeah. For the oysters you'll be serving up. And, exactly, uh, yeah. Always a good time. Oysters are always a hit on every menu. Oh, yeah. <laughs> as soon as there's oysters on it, people order it. Yeah. Uh, it, it's like putting ahi tuna on your menu. Yeah. Or it, you're going to sell. You're going to sell. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's just good to go. Put some truffle oil and someone will oh, buy it. Yeah, 100%. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So usually like 11, 12 hours. Um, and during that, are you looking, do you do anything to help maintain your energy levels during that work day? Oh yeah, uh, I mean, um, you know, between shifts, if I find, and this is gonna sound really weird, but like if probably I find- Probably not, <laughs> probably not. Uh, but if I find myself like, you know, getting low on energy or whatnot, I will just get off the, get off the line and I will tighten my shoelaces. Oh. It's so weird, I don't, I don't know why, but just, you know, tightening the shoelaces and having it, uh, your shoe on properly. Yeah. Uh, just kind of resets my brain a little bit, and then I just get back into it. I suddenly get like a boost of second wind. That is not surprising to me. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I used to. Uh, um, well, I used to be a competitive figure skater. Okay. So you spend a lot of time lacing up your skates. Like right. it's yeah. almost ritualistic how you do it, and like right one goes on first, left one goes on second, and there's a whole process to that. Okay. So that doesn't sound surprising to me at all. The other thing on that is that you're also um, helping with blood flow a little bit. Um, so you're getting that compression. If you're standing in one place for a long time, the blood is going to pool a little bit more in your lower extremities compared to your upper extremities. So taking a second to tie your shoes, A, you're bending over so you're getting that blood flow and the movement back. And B, by putting in a little bit of constriction, you're also forcing that blood flow up into the upper body again. Wow, I didn't so you, think of it like that. I, yeah, well, it's funny, I hadn't thought of it that way, 
But there is uh, a lot of uh, work that's done around that, right? So people who have standing positions for a long time, a lot of places over time will start to wear compression socks and those sorts of things to help that blood flow, right? Because right. uh, when you create a little bit more constriction on the arteries, flow goes up yeah. because it needs to, it, there's less space for it to pool, so it has to go somewhere then. It's just, it's kind of physics. Yeah. Um, so that doesn't surprise me at all, actually. That's actually a really fantastic occupational health thing. Um, so I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, so well, that's cool. I'm going to start telling people that. Well, I, think, I, I feel less weird now. <laughs> no, that's, that's awesome. It doesn't surprise me at all. Um, and uh, yeah, that's really cool. Um, I might write a blog post about that. Oh. Thanks for the idea. Um, <laughs> but do you do anything else um, to help maintain that? Like maybe hydration, anything on that side of it? Yeah, I mean, um, hydration is really important. And um, at times I find cooks forget, forget that. Yeah. Uh, especially when it's a busy service, uh, they don't notice how much time has passed. They don't notice that they haven't had a drink of water. Yeah. So sometimes like, um, like I'm constantly drinking water cause I have a water bottle right in front of me yep. and I make sure it's in front of me. So, uh, it kind of, it's kind of like if I don't drink water, I feel guilty looking at it and I'm like, all right, I should drink water. Okay. Right. So, and at that moment I'm like, okay, make sure you're drinking water. Hey, I'm telling all the cooks to dishwash, like, make sure you're drinking water, make sure you're hydrating yourself. Yeah. Uh, getting your electrolytes, you know, to where it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely one of the rituals and, uh, and something with like I always have to like when I'm cooking, I always tend to have tongs in my hand. Yeah. Um, even if I don't need it. Yeah. Even if I don't need it, just just twirling it around, having it in my hands, is it's kind of uh, soothing. Yeah, it's that 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 tactile feel. Yeah. Do you have any good tong flipping tricks or anything like that? Oh, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I can just flip it around, but at most, sometimes I'll wiggle it uh, upside down, like. I'll twirl it. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, like, the cooks tend to think, like, I'm showing off. I'm not. It's just, like, mind-soothing for me. That's yeah. honestly what it is. Yeah. I knew a chef that had, like, really spring-loaded tongs somehow. Like, I don't know where he got them from, but, like, he had really springy ones. Maybe they're just really new. So he was able to, like, bounce them off the table and get them to flip a bunch, and then he could catch them. It was a pretty cool trick. I've, I don't know how he did it, but I remember it was, like, a... A thing he could do but I think you need really spring-loaded yeah tongs. like you need to have a really fresh spring on them because otherwise like they won't do it yeah um, so and I've always seen like lots of chefs have different ways that they like flip them around yeah doing that stuff and I think it's that sort of keeping that movement keeping that uh, that well springiness I guess yeah that sort of that ability to like you know be ready to go you know, you don't want to ever have that energy drop, so it's better just to stay moving right, yeah. than to stop and do nothing and then let that energy drop. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Cool. Um, so, okay, so it's about 100 people, so I've worked in places of that size um, pretty consistently. And um, have you noticed being in a leadership role that the industry has changed in the last few years when it comes to how we manage performance, how we manage those sorts of things in kitchens? Um, maybe you're bringing things forward that other people aren't, or maybe where you've seen gaps. I'm asking multiple questions again. I'm so bad <laughs> at okay. this as an interviewer. That's okay. Um, I think, yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of change happening, um, especially with, uh, like, you know, before... I know I I've known of a lot of chefs that are, you know, a little uh, aggressive, yes. for lack of better words. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, they'll yell at you. They'll throw plates, tongs, pans, hot pans, or whatnot. And I've worked with chefs like that. Um, 
and uh, I mean, my personal opinion is you know you don't learn like that yeah and uh, so that's a big change that I noticed uh, that we switched over to um, nowadays none of that stuff is allowed or happens at least yeah. let's hope so um, and it's very like training method and like you know um, everything is uh, documented um, I noticed that as a big change and uh, coming into management I noticed like a lot of uh, um, red tape around uh, the cooks and we you know what they can and cannot do yeah um, like for starters uh, a small example would be uh, you know as a cook if you're gonna call or as any worker if you're gonna call in sick you know call in a day ahead or whatnot like you know that's and now there's a law where they can, they only really need to give you about two to four hour notice yeah and uh, you know that puts you in a pickle like, yeah. especially if uh, you only have a certain amount of staff yeah, that definitely sucks, right? Yeah. Um, to be able to fill that, that gap. Yeah, 100%. Um, I wonder how much uh, interesting when it comes to, like, losing people on the fly like that. I wonder how worthwhile that would be, because I know there's lots of, like, service staff. To have your whole staff to actually be, like, way more, like, versed in every role in the place. Yeah. Um, so that you could possibly fill those gaps uh, when needed, you know? Because I know as a server, I never did the line. Um more like any of that, but I could probably learn how to make salads pretty effectively, or at least that that's the cold station, you know, if you yeah. get someone to hop on that. Um, and I never really saw that sort of thing happening, but it could probably fix a lot of problems. 100%, yeah. I mean, a um, couple of the big uh, corporations that I worked with, they actually had the rule where they would do cross-training, and um, a lot of front-of-house managers and shift leaders they would actually be in the kitchen. They would learn to cook uh, a station. Um, Great. Whether it's Garmanger, whether it's, uh, you know, grill side, poisson. But they would learn, and some of them actually loved it. Yeah. And uh, that really did help. You're right. Definitely helps a lot. And, uh, you know, at times you can just call them over and ask them for help. Yeah. Um, but I wish they actually did cross-train the other way, too. Yeah. Because uh, I find a lot of cooks tend to... Um, look down on front of house staff yeah <laughs> and and i don't like that like that creates a lot of you know us versus them divide and yeah. that's that's not cool at all i mean yeah it's well i think both sides are to blame i wouldn't say that it's just like the yeah. kitchen side looks down the servers or the servers look down like i think there's a lot happening on either side of that um and to be able to work as a team um like i know one thing that like I always found interesting was, you know, sometimes the front of house team, like things can go really bad and we work less as a team than the kitchen ever does. Um, and that's not a bad thing. It's just the nature of the job, right? I have my section. I'm right. dealing with what I'm dealing with. I'm the salesperson. I'm the point person for the, for the customer and the guest. So I'm constantly having to manage things in a really singular kind of way. I'm their voice, I'm their conduit to the kitchen in a lot of ways, and sometimes things go bad, right? And sometimes things just happen, and what are you gonna do, right? Um, so I always saw, like I helped, I was like part of the hired opening team for two restaurants, and I always had this line where like the chefs would say, if things go bad, like it's fine for a chef to run food every once in a while. Like if things are really going bad, you know, the chefs can step in, and I never saw it happen once. Really? Uh, yeah, at two places. It, like, got brought up as part of our opening thing, and I never saw it happen. 
Um, so I don't know, like, I don't know if that's specific to the place and, like, sort of the culture around that. Um, but, like, yeah, we would be, like, kind of sinking, and I'd be like, can somebody run the food for me at this point in time? And I never got that assist, but maybe that's something that's a rare, that's sort of my experience, but I don't know if that's true across the board. I mean, it is true uh, to the part where uh, if stuff does go bad, chefs, you know, uh, where I train, the, they were like, yeah, chefs will run the food. Yeah. And I personally have ran food. Yeah. Um, I don't like it. Because <laughs> <laughs> customers are scary. They are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I personally ran the food and, uh, you know, they had the uh, rule where you describe the food when you put it down. Yeah. And you explain to them and... Uh, instead of me describing romantically describing the food i just told them the ingredients in it <laughs> like, have at her here you go have fun yeah <laughs> that's funny yeah we have to romanticize everything usually sometimes or how you say it or yeah. all that sort of stuff and uh, as front of house and then sometimes it's it gets tiresome yeah because you also have people that like have a joke for you that they think you're the first time they've ever heard it oh um i worked at a place where we had like a mushroom pizza it's called the fun guy. Okay. So people would like I put it down like here's your fun guy pizza. And people like oh yeah you're a fun guy and I'm like like I don't hear that three <laughs> times a shift. Uh, you know and then you do your fake server laugh right. And yeah. <laughs> and then move on right. Yeah. And that's your thing. So uh, interesting. So what's your favorite part of your work day? Hmm. Um. I would say making making sauces any sauce that requires uh you know for you to pour the oil slowly yeah and it emulsifies yeah that's my favorite part and okay. like because sometimes i use that as a description of how my day is going to be if the sauce doesn't separate and i'm like oh it's gonna be a great day yeah and then it separates i'm like oh gosh darn it gosh darn it yeah yeah um that's my favorite part i think making sauces yeah. prepping prepping's my favorite part yeah 100 the mat the, that's sort of that yeah, you're making everything, like, getting everything ready to make the magic happen. Yeah. And when that, when that sauce happens, it also sounds like a connection to that caramel story earlier. Yeah. Uh, wow. A little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. So just, that's something I'm hearing right now. But, uh, interesting. Uh, yeah, it is magical when you make a good sauce. I've just learned, like, at home cooking yeah. a little bit how to make some sauces, and I am always impressed when it, like, works. It, it makes me happy when the sauce works for, like, the steak I'm making or whatever, and it works, and... So yeah, it's always like an accomplishment, right? You're like, yeah. oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, awesome. Yeah. Um, so on the flip side of it, what's the toughest part of your workday? I would describe it as the toughest time. Like, I hate um, the initial, as soon as service begins. Yep. I hate that, like, uh, the lull, like, the, the calm, the quietness, like, there's nothing happening. Yeah. I hate that time. Because yeah. um, that's... That's when cooks tend to like slow down because there's nothing to do. Yeah. Um, and you know, I tend to do that too at times. Like you know, mentally I'm just like, oh, there's no orders. All right, let's relax. And you kind of like relax, and then it hits, and it all hits at the same time, and then everyone's just like scrambling. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's my I hate that time. That's beginning of the service. Yeah, that's sort of that lull. You're the third chef that's told me they hate that lull. Um, so. That's interesting. Um, my, for me personally, I always notice the lull is when I make all my mistakes. So I can make it through like a really crazy Friday or Saturday night service and it would be totally fine. I can deal with the chaos, no problems, no mistakes. As soon as it slows down 
that's when like I end up dropping the tray of drinks or I end up like messing up the orders or whatever it is like not that it's always the same thing happening or something that catastrophic but it would always be as soon as it started to slow down that's when you start making all your dumb mistakes because your adrenaline isn't going yeah. anymore you don't have that like bullet time ability to think is turned off and then that's when it starts yeah it's interesting you say that because I've noticed that a lot too like not just with servers like myself and cooks and, and the servers too like when it's when it's dead and like it's very slow people tend to make a lot of mistakes yeah. but when it's busy people are just pumping food out pumping drinks out and I'm yeah. like alright yeah adrenaline's amazing yeah yeah it just turns you into like a superhero oh it's a great drug get, yeah it's, a, it's the best drug yeah you can do so much with it um, the uh, if you can like bottle that effectively uh. <laughs> but no it takes like stress and all that sort of stuff yeah. but the uh, yeah uh, the other side of it that I think a lot of people don't think about and I think the service side didn't think about this a lot was when that lull happens looking at like how you refuel really quickly to maintain your blood sugar and all those sorts of things so that you're not having that like slump mm. um, because I know when you get to the other side it's like yeah it might be slow, but you might have another couple hours ahead of you, and you've been going for four or five already, um, possibly looking at, like, grabbing a really quick snack in that moment so your blood sugar doesn't drop, you know, so that you can actually power through and feel great. Or have you drank water in the last little while? Maybe time to go drink water. Yeah. Um, because that's something that I think people just kind of work straight through, and then six, seven, eight hours later, they're like, oh, I haven't drank any water, I haven't eaten anything. And yeah. Like, well, you've been on your feet. Is that okay? Like, you should probably think about that and kind of bring those sort of policies forward. Um, I've always had this dream of having, like, a really effective, for front of house staff, mostly, um, but, like, as, like, a pass station, like, marathons. So, like, you know when you do marathons and they yeah. have, like, those refuel things? Right, right, have, like, yeah. the water and, like, something to, like, refuel your, like, carbohydrates or whatever. And I was like, could we just create something like that that's, like, in the past so you could, like get a handful of something and have it eaten by the time you get back to the dining room and you're talking to the guests again. Oh, that's pretty smart, yeah. Uh, you know, make something, you know, and it doesn't have to be fancy, it just has to be, like, something that you can grab really quick, so maybe it's, like, hummus and carrots or whatever it is, right? And I don't want to put it on the on the heart of house team to have to repair all that, so just something that you can do really quick, Yeah. you know, maybe pick up from the grocery store and just have, and, like, you know, something in the past, so as you get back to that dining room, you're able to be, like, on board and like still functioning and everything it's kind of a dream of mine i think fries are uh are notorious for that yes like french fries like yes because like uh whenever like any restaurant like when they fry fries yeah uh, you never get the perfect portion no so you always have some left over yeah and uh, i've noticed like a lot of places the cooks will munch on it yeah um sometimes the front of the house will like munch on it too yeah yeah, I don't. Fries are great. They're yeah. kind of quick burn energy, so they kind of go through your system really quick. Yeah. So I would like to switch to something like complex carbohydrates and yeah, stuff I think like that. That's smarter. Yeah. Way smarter and way yeah. better. Yeah. Yeah, and way better, right? Yeah. Just so that we're not always just eating deep fried food. Oh, I agree. And you don't notice, and you're like, oh, I just ate deep fried food all day, and I didn't notice, you know. So you know, that's just a dream of mine on that side of like how you uh, manage that. But um, so. Uh, do you see if you had to pick like one thing that you had like in a fairy tale world to make like the job easier for in the kitchen what would it be and keeping it under sort of the health and performance perspective we could go all sorts of different things yeah I know keep I, it under that uh, I think I would say uh, better shoes 
better shoes. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Um, cause a lot of, uh, I get a lot of complaints from cooks about shoes and like where I work, uh, as a head chef, I don't really have to wear the black, uh, non, you know, non-slip. Yeah. Uh, I just wear boots. Yeah. So, uh, hence why the laces, but, uh, most of the cooks, they just wear Crocs. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, as wonderful as they are, um, they can get kind of, you know, uncomfortable after yeah. a while. I've worn them. Yeah. So, uh, I would say some better shoes. Yeah, better, better shoes. Better, cheaper shoes. A lot of cooks uh, don't make enough money to afford that, you know, $100 shoes, $100 yeah. pair of shoes, which there they are in the market, but they're a little pricey. Yeah. So, a lot of cooks tend to go towards Crocs. Yeah, because they're cheaper and yeah. there for that sort of thing. I know um, a lot of industries um, have like a budget for their employees to like uh, step in for footwear. Um, so they like you know if you're working in like a warehouse and you're yeah. uh, filling forklifts with stuff and everything, you're working all day. They they have like suppliers that they've made a deal with, and they make sure that all their employees get like the same boots. And then what they do is they say hey, like, if you go here, there's a discount, and there's, like, a sort of, they've made a deal with that that supplier to make that happen, and it's something, I guess, because there's a lot of small businesses, and that's not maybe in the budget, yeah. but bigger uh, uh, companies could probably get onto that. 100%, yeah. Um, and it would probably be a good thing, because I know uh, a very large restaurant company um, that I work for, like, let's say, like, they have hundreds of locations across Canada, um, I know they put in something where they had like all their servers have to wear a specific brand of shoe, um, but or it was in talks. But I thought that was really funny because they weren't going to like put any sort of like stipend to help you afford those shoes, you know. And I know servers make sometimes a lot of money, but I also thought it was like, well, then I want to wear the shoes that I want if you're not going to help me, you yeah. know, require it, right? So. Uh, that could be something that could be thought of for larger companies, I think. For, yeah, I think from, that's a very smart idea. Yeah, your personal productive gear for the job. Right? There you go, yeah. Um, you know, and whatever that may be. So, okay. Well, this has been really fun, and we've totally hit the time point for the first section of this interview. So I think we're... Uh, right and we covered all my questions pretty effectively. So I'm going to take a little pause. We'll get back into those crazy restaurant stories and have a little bit of fun, and we'll go from there. Sound good? Sounds excellent. Awesome. Hey, listeners. I just want to take a quick second to remind you about the Health Kitchen Facebook group. We keep getting more and more members as people listen to the podcast, and it's a really great place to ask questions about how to perform better, how to feel better during your workday in a restaurant, and hear from other industry professionals who maybe have found a solution under the topic that you're looking for. So I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but you can also find it by searching on Facebook for Health Kitchen. It's uh, the same name as the show, and you should be able to find it pretty easily. And it's a private group, so only members can see what's posted. And it's a great time, so go check it out. We just had a conversation recently about footwear. Uh, We had one about how we manage burnout. So really great 
Facebook group to connect with people who want to feel better during the workday just like you. So go check that out and let's get back to crazy restaurant stories. So we are back and we're getting into our crazy restaurant stories and I always start and talking so much about kitchens and how chefs work and all sorts of things. I think one thing that people forget when they listen to this podcast a bunch, because we talk about how like angry chefs get, how passionate they are, that they can also be total pranksters. And I worked in a place where the chefs were total pranksters. Um, first restaurant I ever worked in, and um, they just did all sorts of hilarious things to kind of get the front of house team to react or whatever it may be. So. I started there as a dishwasher. I was um, uh, doing my thing at 15, and head chef came into uh, into the dish bin, and he's like, oh, do you want to try this cucumber sauce? And he gave me like a full tablespoon of this green cucumber sauce. And I took it, and then found out it was wasabi. Oh, and 15-year-old me didn't know any better, right? So yeah. just like, I was like drinking milk for like two hours after that, trying to manage that as best I could. So. Stories like that. Uh, they also, uh, to one of the bartenders, we had live lobsters, uh, and they put a live lobster on the bar, and they covered it in a cloth. Wow. So when she came in and went to clean up, she was starting, and she went and she grabbed the cloth, and this lobster comes out from underneath, oh, like, goodness. angry and, like, snapping at her. So she, like, hid in the fridge for the rest of the for the rest of the day. So you would always see things like that. They would, um, you know, you'd print the specials for the night, so they would type them out so you could print them and have, like, a physical copy, and right. you'd memorize them from there. But they would also put typos in, oh. so you would embarrass yourself in front of customers. Um, so you'd, instead of chicken breasts, they put chicken boobies. Okay. Things like that. <laughs> just, like, they would just always be... They would prank call the restaurant to make hilarious bookings. Oh, God. And, like, so, like... Before we opened, there was one day where a guy said he was, like, coming from the airport and, like, had, like, 20 people he needed to get in, and we were already booked, and he, like, was just kept going on and on, and he was just, like, really over the top, and then, like, it eventually just started having these crazy demands. He's like, I have a snake with me. Can oh, you, God. like, take a snake? <laughs> like, can you, can you make a seat for the snake? Like, I need space for it, so really fun. They were a lot of fun to work with. They're total divas, but also we're total pranksters. So, and I think that's some of the fun that you see in the industry that people don't talk about. We talk about how hard the job is, we yeah. talk about how crazy it is, how passionate it is, but I don't think people talk about the fun side that you also have with that, with your restaurant family, right? Oh yeah, there's there's definitely, like, um, I think that's a really important for bonding. Like, you know, the fun that you have, like yeah. definitely, definitely the pranks that you were talking about um, and uh, constantly chirping each other. Yeah. That happens a lot too. Uh, yeah, I think one of my fun stories is, uh, uh, it's interesting, um, I used to be just a, a saute cook for an Italian kitchen, and, uh, you know, we used to close at 2 a.m., last call, 1.45, so, you know, we do last call, and I remember one night, um, we, we were ha fresh pasta, handmade pasta, so uh, the shelf life is low, we had to throw it out, yep. and I remember one night we had to throw out eight liters of cavatappi noodle. And I was like, all right, no worries. Threw it in the trash can. Uh, I did all my cleaning. And as I'm walking uh, the garbage can, like it's an industrial size, size garbage can, I you know, drag it to the back and I take the bag out, like the rookie I am, and I take it to the dumpster. And right when I'm about to throw it in the dumpster, it rips. 
and it's in the winter time so everything is everywhere and uh it was the funniest thing ever because uh you know i, I didn't smoke um and then everyone's on their smoke break the servers um at the end of the night and they just had a laugh yeah quite the laugh because they saw me just struggling with all the trash so it wasn't just the coffee topping noodles that went all over the snow it was like all the food waste yeah and and they were hiding the broom as well so that was the that was That's the end great. that was the <laughs> kicker yeah right so they were having a laugh while they saw me throw it like drop everything and then i was like where's the broom where's the broom running around uh finding the broom and then they eventually gave it to me and they helped me clean up and that was excellent like nice. and we bonded over that and i remember like Every time we went out to grab a bite or a coffee, they would always bring that story. They were like, hey, man, remember the time you didn't know how to throw garbage away? <laughs> and I was like, you know what? That's fun. That's yeah. Fun. I told this on a previous episode. Uh, a dishwasher I knew didn't know the rule that you're supposed to lift the whole can in yeah. the garbage, just like you said. And he went to, to like, swing the bag up over, and it broke in midair and just all hit him. Oh, um, yeah, it was a, it was a thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, funny that you said like the low shelf life of things. Um, another story that comes to mind is I was working at another place uh, in Guelph, and we had like everything man house, really local food, really great. Um, and we had like these tarts, so like a lemon tart, amazing, like best lemon tart you ever had. And uh, but like after a few days, it's not viable anymore to sell. It loses its its flavor and everything. So we kind of had, like, it's still edible. Like, you're not going to get sick from eating it, but it's not the level of, uh, of quality that you want to serve to a guest. Right. So whenever those sorts of desserts, you know, may have gone off, there might be, like, one slice left. It was put on a special shelf in the bar fridge and front of house staff. Anyone could take it home with them, you know? Or sometimes we'd just finish work and we'd eat it, you know, whatever. And uh, the so one day there was, like, a whole tart on that shelf. And we were like how there's no way it looks like brand new but it's like on our shelf to eat so literally like all five of us that day on the front house team just like devoured it at the end of our work day and we come in the next day and like they're like where did that tart go we like just made one where did it go and we're so somebody maybe new didn't know the rule right and just saw it assumed that it went there and just put the whole new fresh tart oh, no. like, it tastes so new it's so <laughs> good tasting this doesn't taste like you know ugh, it was so funny so that's that's our you know little story i assume they had to re-prep it and yeah it it weird, yeah they didn't like us that day oh. uh, <laughs> but it was really funny like in hindsight it was just you know yeah those funny stories it's funny now it's funny now yeah you know what like 10 years later so you know, I'm sure we've made back that cost, but well, that's exciting. I think we're gonna leave it at that for today. Thank Sounds you good. so much for being a guest on here, Manny. Uh, this has been really fun. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Excellent, yeah. thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Hell's Kitchen podcast. Now, if you want to contact me, my email is aaron at balancelifeservices.ca. My Twitter is b underscore life underscore services. My Instagram is balanced underscore life underscore services. And don't forget to go join 
that Facebook group, Hell's Kitchen, where you can connect with all sorts of working food service professionals to find out what works for them, what isn't working for them, and find some people who maybe know how to help you have a better workday. And remember, if you want to be a guest on this podcast, send me an email. I'd love to chat with you. See ya.